Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. So, we've already... Uh, when I typed that up. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, met. Met cute. So it's like the met ball, but also like a meet cute. Didn't get that ball. until it was explained to me. <laughs> I was thinking like the New York Mets, but there wasn't the met. Yeah, a met ball. Cute. Yeah, okay. which is they what they call it the Met Gala because they can't say the met ball. Met, they can't say that, apparently. The Spontaneity Shop presents the Guilty Feminist Watchers, and just like that, the Sex and the City Reheal, with me, Deborah Francis White, and my very special guest, Sarah Barron. Season 2, Episode 1, Met Cute, and Episode 2, The Real Deal. Okay, Sarah Barron, now we, we talked to you last season of this rewatch show, were you excited about this new season after last season? Hugely. <laughs> you know, I cannot think of another TV show that I have this kind of relationship with. Mm. So I think it is terrible in, in quite a few ways, but I I cannot not love it, even when it's horrible. And between now and whenever we would have talked about season one – now that we know what is clunky, what we know what's uncomfortable, when I've done like, and just like that season one rewatches, which I have done a couple of times since last December of 2021, whenever it was out, I just enjoy, like, it just feels like putting on that comfortable jumper. Have you had a same uh, situation where you like, oh, they let me down a little bit, so I couldn't get excited for this one? I, I certainly wasn't as excited for this one as I was as the last one. Oh. But... The opening of season two, episode one, made me go, oh, maybe we're getting back into sex and uh-huh, the city. Now. Uh-huh. So they started with a, a lower bar than I had in my head for the last one. Last one I had a spectacularly high bar because I was like, it's gonna go back to the classic TV show, the mm-hmm. the, the best years <laughs> I decided. That's what we deserve. We're having a tough, <laughs> we're having we're having tough times. We've just come out of a global pandemic. What we deserve is absolute classic Sex and City, and instead, what we got was like 
some really tough stuff with mourning and it just heavy subject matter and and identity politics dealt with in a very creepy <laughs> way. And I was like, no, why? And so this time I feel like they are trying to revisit the glory days. So let's look at what happened. In episode one, Carrie Bradshaw, our hero, is now having a lovely Thursday-only fling with her podcast producer, who who's conveniently very handsome and suave. Franklin. Franklin. An interesting name for a sex object, don't you think? I know a guy called Franklin Leonard who runs The Blacklist, and he's- He's incredibly, I, like, he's, I mean, I think, I think he's very attractive, yeah. Like, he's, he's widely seen as, if you're listening, Franklin, you're widely seen as, he tries to ask her out on a proper date, not mm. just a, a little bit of a, a, a booty call. And she at first says yes out of politeness and then decides she's not ready. And then episode two, season two, what happens to Carrie? She is asked, she's doing sponsorships for her podcast, which is perhaps something you're even slightly familiar with. And one of them involves her mentioning the word suppository and discussing vaginal dryness. And she's like, no, this is a red line for me. Does that seem realistic to you as a podcaster yourself, Deb? Uh, no, if you, the truth of the matter is if you as a podcaster feel strongly, you don't want to do an ad, you don't ever have to do that ad. That's not, that's not a thing. I mean, the idea that the podcast would be so on its last legs that one ad, one sponsorship read could save it is ludicrous. So if the, so the, pod, the producer's going, it's a deal breaker. It's this or we cancel the show. You would be, you would know as a podcaster, well, then I guess the show's going to get canceled. Okay. And me saying vaginal suppository <laughs> three times is just the death knell. You know, it's just sure. like, and why why, why say it then? I mean, she certainly has, I think we can all agree, enough money. Doesn't she? I was, I am genuinely curious, and I don't know too much about how television works, but I felt that there was zero chemistry between Carrie and the actor who was playing Franklin. Franklin. And I that show always did, you know, and even when we're talking about Sex in the City, not and just like that, even at its best, it was never flawless television. But one thing I thought it always got right. Was chemistry. Was chemistry mm-hmm. and love interests. They were wonderful with casting those people. They really were. And I guess they let the actors kind of play or something. But I think there was no time for her to play with this guy all we saw was like a sort of montage of her in bed with him and then him watching a cooking show, not looking at her when he doesn't even cook. And I wanted to see more like, okay, so this is my fix. This is yeah. what I've decided to do. Let's play writer's room. Okay. Okay. Exciting. So my writer's room fix for this is, and this is what I think the old Sex of the City team would have done, is the sex is amazing. She finds him boring. Yes. And so she's like- I keep thinking I'm going to get to more and we're going to get the banter and it's not really happening. And so I, but I really like the sex and actually I don't want much more. So the question is, can I have great sex with someone I find boring? Can I continue that? It would have been like reverse Jack Berger. Remember exactly. with Jack Berger, it was like, we've got the Zaza Zoo, but then in the bedroom, it's the reverse exactly. of that. Exactly. Reverse which was, which was not completely dissimilar. Remember very early on, season one, there was some storyline with this guy who was amazing in bed and she tries to go out on a date with him and it's like, 
I mean, we're talking like 1998. Oh, I know exactly who that was. Remember that guy? It's Will Arnett playing that character. It's Will Arnett playing that character, the guy that does Bojack Horseman. No, wrong. Oh, you don't think it is? Will Arnett, I know this. I know this. I know my trivia. Will Arnett is one of Miranda's, Miranda's boyfriend who can only fuck in public. Oh. That is who Will Arnett plays. He's he's not nearly as famous as Will Arnett. This is a guy. Sucky to me guy, the guy that has the phone cards. Maybe. I can't remember that detail. But I I did wonder, like, is it, he seems like a very nice person, but I was so underwhelmed by him as a character, which tends not to be Mm -hmm. my problem when I have a problem with the show, even within just like that. But I was like, what is this? And then I just thought, I wonder if he's like, we needed him through season one. And now we're wrapping up with him. Yes. And he's goodbye forever. And when is John Corbett coming back? Yeah. It might be too soon to say that, but so we've I tied. Know, I thought he was going to knock on the door at the end of episode two. The, I, I really did. I was a little disappointed because we've been promised him. We're going to get him, and I think we're going to get some runway of time with him. The old Carrie was always kind of neurotic and conflicted. Mm-hmm. I have a bit of a problem that she just goes, okay, if he doesn't want to see me just Thursdays, that's cool. And just like that, I just freed up my whole week. And she doesn't. She's not neurotic and conflicted anymore. She's like, I don't want to see this guy. I think we take positive things from this. Number one, a thing that Sex and the City always did that I did like was they did, they, it did treat men like men were expendable. That's true. There are fish in the sea. Someone else always comes along and your devastation is never, it was always, you know, like the pretty attractive, non-horrifying version of what like breakup pain feels like. It's like a few dinners out with your girls and baby, you're back. Mm. And I appreciate the lightness of all that and the levity of it. And so it's like, that was her in her 30s. So now her at almost 60 years old, she's too old for this shit in a positive way. Yeah, good, fine. But it doesn't make as good drama. That's what I'm going to say. So I'm going to need to see some drama when Aiden comes back. Okay. Now let's look at what happened with Charlotte. So Charlotte, of course, they're all going to the Met Ball. Yes, which and is the Met Gala, but apparently they're legally not allowed to say Met Gala. It, so they're saying it's Met actually Ball. called the Met Gala. Yes, it's the Met Gala, but they, but they apparently there's they're not allowed to use that name. So that's, do, don't you feel like that is ex- the exact institution that would say to him just like that? You can use our the way that, they like use the offices of Vogue in season five they did or whatever not it was. Give permission, uh, maybe How maybe that says Sex and City isn't as cool as it once was. Ooh. But Michael Patrick King said he's always wanted to do the Met Gala. And he's never done it. And that tells me that he's been trying to get the name for years. And in the end, he just said, fuck it, we'll change the name. How interesting. Um, So so Charlotte's storyline is she's going to go and she finds out that Harry, her husband, really wants to join her. Yes. And she does not. She feels he's going to basically cramp her style on her fun night out. Well, has your husband has... ever really wanted to join you at like a swanky thing you get to go to and you have to be like, honey? My husband no. is much more like Harry Goldenblatt in as much as he goes, you go, have fun. <laughs> like he doesn't really want to go to those things. But yes, there have been things where I've said, do you want to go to this? It's might be a thing. If not, I'll ask a girlfriend or a gay best friend or something like that. But occasionally he's gone, yes, I really do want to go. And I've gone, that's great, honey. That's great. And, you know, no, I like it when Tom wants to come with me. But, of course, there's times where I've thought this is the perfect thing for 
X or Y. I wish I could ask Sarah Barron to this, but sadly, Tom is. Tom Selinski needs to go instead. He's using his husband ticket. So I think he's, yeah, he does have first dibs. Um, uh, But she's, she's given the ticket to Anthony and she's embarrassed to now tell Anthony. Yes. And then in in episode two, her storyline is that her eldest daughter, Lily, sells all of her amazing clothes to buy this keyboard that she wants to write a song. And I have to say, one of the one of the things about the show that I am like into is I think my two favorite parts of it thus far, I can really watch those York Golden Blatts around the home. <laughs> like that family of four plus um Anthony coming yes. in is, yes. is very watchable to me. And similarly, I can watch those Wexlers, Lisa Todd Wexler and her family mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the mother-in-law. Like, I can just sit back and all of the things that are not perhaps aging beautifully are we're like, come on, guys, where are the zingers? Give me my stuff. Give me what I'm used to. I go, okay, you're not giving me that, but I could sit in this house and watch this family. The internet is agreeing with you oh. that... Uh, the the Wexlers, the, uh-huh, they um, are is is uh, a fun to watch. Although there was a very strange storyline in this one, which we will get to. And Charlotte's uh, family, I agree. Tom and I were watching it, and uh, we said that those two kids have got the best dynamic of anyone. Now they've got good chemistry. The kid, the daughters, yes, they've got a fun dynamic going on. So yes. maybe it is about moving in with the new. Um, and if then, I was in, I was just if I was in my writer's room. What I would do, big picture. Yeah. And just like that winds down mm. and we just go the Wexlers and the York Golden Blatts. Mm. And then Carrie becomes secondary. Now, there's a question as whether to I Kristen, don't think SJP is going to let that happen. No. But. And also Kristen Davis, God bless her, seems like a wonderful woman. But I always felt, I've always felt that her acting wasn't. Her her and uh, Cynthia Nixon are never my favorite actors. Oh my god, I think Cynthia work. Nixon is a brilliant actor. I Everybody think does. Kristen Everyone Davis does. is a little presentational at times, but mm-hmm. it works for her. <laughs> it works for her. Uh, so Miranda in episode one, she uh, she's with Che in Los Angeles, and she is concerned that their relationship oh, is just sex. Oh my god, I it's the dream. <laughs> Genuinely don't know what's happened to Miranda. I she tell me more, tell like me more. Such a different character to me now. Mm-hmm. Her whole thing was you never give away your uh, your your life for your relationship. Your relationship has to fit into your life. Your life doesn't fit into your relationship. She was the polar opposite of Carrie. And now it's not I listen, I quite like, as you say, they've got to morph, they've got to get older. I absolutely do get someone getting into their 50s and go, do you know what? I've given my whole life to a law firm. And while that did feed me, and that was my priority, I'm tired. I'm sick of working 14 hours a day and Saturdays and Sundays. And I've fallen in love. I feel like a teenager. Why don't I just put that first for a while and experiment with that? So I'm open to that. I'm open to Miranda changing. But she's acting and being treated like a groupie. Like she's at the comedy store watching Che do stand-up. And there are waitresses going, you can't stand there. You can't stand there. And I'm like... She's Che's significant other and she's not got a seat. Yeah, she's yeah, not got yeah, a good yeah, seat, yeah. a VIP seat. She's being knocked out of the way. She's saying at her AA meeting, I've got nothing to fill my days with. And I'm like, I don't believe that. I believe she would be doing pro bono work. She gave up her corporate law job in season one to go into human rights law. Great. But why is she now not doing pro bono human rights law in California? 
just volunteering at, you know, there's so many places that lawyers can volunteer. That's what she wanted to do. She's got nothing to do with her days. I can see her putting the relationship first and going, fuck it, I'm moving to LA. But I cannot see her doing nothing in LA that feeds her. Don't believe it. Do we think something is coming with the woman who invited her to do the environmental cleaning up of the beach? Oh, do you think she's going to cheat on Shay with the I environmentalist? I think something... Like, I think, I don't think we've seen the last of that character. And it's interesting because all we know about her is that she made the approach. Yeah. She made this comment about the virgin arms. And we know, we learned very quickly she has a husband and she has a child. And I wonder if we're going to see her fall from Miranda. Oh, I kind of hope so. Because Che, I feel, is all about Che. I mean, I'm not the only one. The internet feels Che is all about Che and they've got a lot of narcissistic tendencies. but. I I just feel like Miranda has, I get her falling for someone. I get her changing her life. I get her all of this. But I just, I don't believe that she would not say, great, I'm going to move to LA and finish my human rights law course there. Or I'm going to yeah. do this or that. Or I'm going to, or I've always wanted to do X and I never took the time for myself. So now it's love and my, I'm going to explore, you know, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to explore cooking. I'm going to whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but something that she's always wanted to do. So I can only hope at some midpoint of this season, she's going to go, what have I done? What have I become? Like, I need to clearly needed a refresh on my life. But this, but this isn't it. Is me following someone around and trying to put on a strap on and then feeling bad that they're not paying me attention and then I don't know their number and then, you know, the whole thing with Tony Danza. Yeah, that was very, very strange. I feel, though, I feel that the show so far in two episodes is telling us that that, that love is going to be for real. You know, I think that it is being set up as a very long-term thing. Miranda and Shay? Mm-hmm. <sighs> I Sorry. Look, I don't look forward to I that. I could be wrong. I have no idea what I'm talking about a lot of the time. But I'm like, this is, this, you know, what I would, if I was in the writer's room, I'd go, look, you're mm. learning, as we all do, the items of clothing to keep around and the ones that are not really truly for you. Yeah. And I feel the Wexlers and Seema yeah. are like forever. Right. And I feel that Che and Professor Nia Wallace are the less compelling characters. I think the fundamental problem is there's just too many characters. This is the thing. Something's that they got to weed out. I care as much about all, like no. it used to be there's four people you care about. And I absolutely do truly believe that they should have put Seema in the Sam chair, the Samantha chair. And then I really think Miranda could have had like a, a kick-ass law partner in her own boutique law firm and new lover. New lover is replacing yeah, Steve. We all yeah, care, we care so about that kind of works. We care about Steve. But I just think, you know, we, we're investing in whole new families and love lives and stories. We just, I can't care about everyone to the same extent. Exactly. But I have to say, Lisa Todd Wexler, they oh. call her LTW, she must be the most beautiful woman in the world. Mm-hmm. I watched that scene, the way that they opened the first episode of season two with they're all walking toward their people. Yeah. I didn't really need all the fucking of the people because it was like, I sort of, that was all implied with the walking, but fine. When she walks toward her husband. Yeah. And that like bra and underwear and her thing and he throws this like all day. I could watch her all day. She's very beautiful. She's like, honestly, probably the most beautiful woman in the world. She's so charismatic. 
And then that iconic scene of her, she decides to go to the Met Ball, not gala, in a red Valentino oh. dress with the wild train, a wildly, wildly ridiculous train, and then a sort of face covering. And there's a fun little plot device that because he's insisted on going down on her for an hour and a half or something or for eight for minutes. For eight minutes. For eight minutes. She's forgotten to confirm the van that's meant to take this. She can't fit into a normal cab. So we we got to walk 10 blocks, which it creates, I think, probably one of the most iconic moments in television history in terms of fashion oh. where she is walking across the street and he's carrying the train behind. And it's, if you haven't seen it, Google it. I have it's chills. Breath, it was so amazing. Breathtaking. Absolutely breathtaking they are fashion moment. They bringing it fashion-wise. They are. Oh, my God. The thing that that um, Carrie is wearing, that sort of all-white ensemble with her little hat to the yes. side when she walks out of her house after Charlotte has found out that she's, like, fucking her, yes. her producer. Amazing. And even what she's wearing, you know, you know who she has great chemistry with, SJP, is um, Bobby Lee in the role of Jackie. I think Jackie and Carrie have wonderful chemistry. Yes. Yeah. And I they go out. For, it's very good. And they go out for one little dinner and they, they which is when he pitches, you know, when, when they're talking about his girlfriend designing the Met Ball dress, the ill-fated Met Ball dress. And she's just in something fabulous at that bar they're sitting at. Mm. They are they are bringing the fashion, I think. It's less believable than the Sex and the City fashion. They used to just mix her wardrobe up so much. There were all these different pieces and it looked like a fashionista's wardrobe. And I think now it looks like a done look, like a costume. Oh, more. interesting. But okay. I will say about that hat, which is that cute on the side, like big boater that she had on. Do you know that was the hat that caused a lot of problems in season one? Because Michael Patrick King was like, no, absolutely don't want it on the set. And SJP really liked it. And there was a fight about it. And the costume designers brought it back for this season and he said something like revenge is a bitch because they basically got it in. What was his problem with it? He just didn't like it. He didn't think it was the character. And he also, it's harder to film uh, people's faces when there's hats. Oh, of course. And he was just like, no, 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 I don't want that. And she said, but the outfit only works with the hat. If you told me you didn't want the hat, we would have worked out a different outfit. So there was a whole Barney about that hat. But people apparently were terrified. People walked off the set. It was a whole thing. That hat almost brought in just like that season one to a halt. This is very interesting news. Came back for season two. But after all the fashion compliments, I did, I did feel that the dress that she's supposed to wear to the Met Ball was horrible. Oh. That thing that like winds up not yes, fitting. It looked like it looked something like, you'd get from Monsoon. Like, yeah, what was that? It was very bizarre. I did not understand that because it was meant to be Storm, I think it's her name. If it's not, it's something like Storm, who is the designer. And she's like, if I didn't think she was a hot mess of talent, I wouldn't let her uh, dress me for the Met Ball. What she brings in looks like something you'd get from Monsoon uh, for a Christmas office party <gasps> with all of these like green stripes. I did not understand. It, it just didn't look right. And then also, I just felt the whole thing implausible. If you are a young designer and some kind of fashion icon has said, you, you get that ready so much earlier. Like, when did she figure this out? That plot line only works if she's been let down by somebody else and she swoops in to try and help and but that has something that's not quite ready. I just don't buy that a young designer would not have had that right, would not there's millions of seamstresses in New York City. Does not get the get someone there and go make this work. What did you think of her wearing her wedding dress to the Met Ball? 
I was under, so this is the thing. I was very underwhelmed by her outfit and also Charlotte's. Oh. Like in that sort of weird kind of slightly s and thing, which I was yeah. like. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Um, the internet agrees with you. Nobody enjoyed the, not nobody, many people did not enjoy the latex S&M nature of Charlotte's outfit. What I thought it evoked Yes. Was Charlotte is a horse rider. Do you remember? Yes. In Sex in the City. Yes, of course. She was too scared to get back on the horse. Mm-hmm. Now, I believe, and I'm going to give you a hot take here. Wow. Charlotte York Rosenblatt is the only character who's truly grown in a real way that I believe the growth, I believe the confidence that's come out of the life choices she's made. Uh-huh. And I feel she is... Not just back on the horse. I feel like she is astride the horse. She is someone who now would explore SM in the bedroom and be not frightened to wear it to the Met Gala. I feel Charlotte knows herself. She knew herself from really young. She wanted to get married. She wanted to have kids. That's a hard thing to do with the right person. She really worked for it. She really got there. And I think she's, she's, I truly believe her as a 50-something woman who, as a 35-year-old woman, would be like, I couldn't possibly wear something that was S&M out in public. What will people think of me? I don't know if I can ride a horse again because I fell off tatty. And is now like astride her husband, astride a horse, astride S&M in public. I believe her growth. Okay. I am 100% on board for her growth and that it feels authentic. But I have to circle back. Which they make fun of in the show. They make fun of it. Um, that I, I feel that like, you know, all of us only have a certain amount to give. And I feel that everything Sex and the City had to give to this idea of doing their Met episode, everything good went to Lisa Todd Wexler. And Seema yeah. did okay. And Carrie and uh, Charlotte got the got the scraps. Can I also, I have a big complaint about this Met Ball episode. This is the second time we have seen that fabulous Vivian Westwood wedding dress not ever get to the party. This is the thing. I was so let down that we didn't see them there. We didn't even see them go in. We didn't see, because they kept saying, celebrities only on those steps. We're not going to get to those steps. I just really wanted to see Anthony just take a wrong turn and go up those steps and get past security and Charlotte, you know, follow him. Un- Guest un- appearance by exactly some major, or something yeah. like that. Harry be like, you went on the steps. You said we wouldn't get to go. Yeah. They they end up talking to Rihanna, you yes. know, and you know Harry's pissed off, or whatever. But just some adventure at the Met, even if we just saw like still photos at the end of them at the Met, or the you know something. It felt such a letdown. It's yeah. the second time we've seen. That dress not get to the ball. Yes. So disappointing. Um, that I I was like, man. Um, and I get what they were doing with it by, oh, it's really the Met's all about the dressing up. And it's, you know, really there. When you're there, people say it's quite boring. You're just standing around in uncomfortable clothes. People don't want to talk to anyone. You know, like. Everyone's in like a terrible mood because they can't breathe. Yeah. And like, you don't know, you know, can you go over and talk to Rihanna? Probably not. So you're then thinking, I don't want to be a star fucker. So you just stay on your side of the room and talk to the people you already know. And it's just talking to your, your, your friends, anyone who could get in in uncomfortable clothes. I did think, what did you think of the etiquette of Seema can't come? So in front of Seema, she gives 
her plus one ticket to Anthony. So Seema knows. And then Seema just calls up and goes, I'm coming again, i.e. dump Anthony. And she does. I would not do that. If no. I, Sarah, if you said to me, I'd love to come with you, but I can't have something super important going on with Jeff. And then on the day you rang me and went, oh my God, the thing's fallen through. I feel you would say to me, "You, I, look, I don't expect you to, to drop Anthony. But if for any reason Anthony can't yes. come or another ticket's become available, I would love to come. I then would go, Sarah, I'm so sorry. Anthony can come and I can't really dump I him. think that if I may jump from one genre to another here. I think your obsession with the TV show Succession has made you forget how unrealistic most television is. <laughs> like you're so stuck at looking up going, but here, here's how people behave really. And it's like, yes, but we're out of that world now. But Jesse Armstrong might be listening to this because he loves you. And he might be hearing this and thinking, she's Deborah Francis White's exactly who I need in my next writer's room. Well, that's what he's smart, probably thinking. He'd be a smart man if he did. That's what he's probably thinking, hearing me say this. Obviously, Sex and the City is not as truthful and is not intending to be as truthful as Succession. But there are some things that for me, I'm just like, you just, as a writer, I yeah. would want to cover my tracks more. Here is one. <laughs> Miranda's on the beach picking up seaweed. Firstly, why? Okay, yes. So this is the thing. There is the, the kind of seaweed I don't think it's like this is bad environmentally, although maybe it is. Maybe it's one of those weird things that it does something. I, I don't I did know. I try and Google it because I thought maybe they've got a problem with too much seaweed or something in California. Maybe it's aesthetics. Like it just, it's, be- you want a beautiful beach that isn't covered in seaweed. And but there's like that's a- not environmentalism. That's, well, but that's- there are a few holes here going on. As but they keep saying out. saving the planet. I don't know. But then she loses her phone. Okay. She has a quick look for a phone. She can't find it. She goes to these guys, these surfer dudes. She rings Jay and Jay says, it would take an hour and a half for me to get to you and the knitters in an hour. So in other words, she was going to be, and if it's going to take an hour and a half to get there, it's going to take an hour and a half to get back and the dinner's in an hour. So she was going to be back in 90 minutes and then have to obviously have a shower. So she was never going to be at that Tony Danza dinner. Number one, that's my one problem. (laughs) Number two, but I just think as a writer, you can cover that. You can say, you can say, Look, it would only take you an hour to get back, but it's going to take traffic to, you know, whatever. Another thing, this is, and this to me, I can't understand it because the fans will know this. Harry says, My mother's been dead for 10 years. I'm sorry, but Charlotte, when she went to marry him, he said, I'm Jewish and I have to marry someone Jewish. I promise my mother. She's like, I know I can work mothers. And he goes, my mother's dead. That was in 2002, people. Bizarre. That was, what was, that? That was 21 years ago. And, and also she wasn't recently dead then. He wasn't mourning her. No. So she's been dead at least 25 years. It was so bizarre. And also it wasn't one of those, like, you know, there, there are these things that people get into, like mistakes in films where if you know Chicago really well, you know that in with the opening of When Harry Met Sally, when they're driving out of Chicago, it doesn't make sense because you drive... Mm. It's not one of those things. It's no. like they wrote the show. They, the, Harry's whole deal was that his mother was dead when they met. Yes, that was like a like a plot point. In it was a, a way, it was the it was a big thing. The whole thing hinged on. I promised my mother. Now she died. I cannot go back on that promise because I can't convince her to to take this back. And that was two thousand and two. And I thought this has to be twenty years ago. And I looked it up. It's twenty one years ago. I think they're getting it's a it's a little sloppy. That's that me. felt very sloppy. So to at me. one point they're having lunch, and Seema says, "I can't. I'm not going to make it to the Met Ball because it's a European lunch. It could take a month." And then immediately Carrie says, "Oh, 
your glam squad needs to be there at 2.30 in the afternoon. That's not much time. I need a month. Both of them use a month as a comically long period of time. Are you sure? Within two sentences. Yes, I went back to listen to it. And I'm like, guys, you used to be the zingiest writers. So what's what's going on? What's going on? It's, I don't Is know. Is it Michael Patrick King? Is he just like, what? What are they not hiring the right people or the people who used to write? What? What is going on? I don't it's understand. It's clear to me, but I feel like there were some zingers though. Some zingers I really enjoyed. Honestly, I think they were pretty much all Anthony's. Uh, there was a nice one where Carrie said, "I think my vagina has to write its own monologue." That yes, was that cute. was good. There was the there was the seat, like if I don't see him Tuesday, I'm going to be a senior. Yeah, that, that, that was that was yeah that was in, in, the, in the in the school of yes, the old days. It was in the school, that's but the, right. in the old days, every scene would have five or six of those. What is up? I don't know, but nothing um, to prove. Is that it? Nothing to prove. I feel like they don't feel they have nothing to prove right now. I think they feel they have everything to prove because people people criticize the movies, people have criticized yes, the reboot. Yes, but people love it. Yeah, people will always come and back for more. And the numbers must be crazy. I believe the numbers are probably quite good. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello, Guilty Feminists. We're recording five more live episodes and you can come and see us at the Turner Gallery in Margate on the 9th of July, supporting local charity Power of Women Thanet. We're at King's Place in London on the 24th of July and we're at Soho Theatre on the 11th and the 12th of August. And we're live from Chichester on the 21st of August. I'll be in Chichester doing a Guilty Feminist episode because I've written a play called Never Have I Ever, which will be on in Chichester at the Minerva for the whole of September. It stars Alexandra Roach, Ahmed Shah, Greg Wise and a very own Guilty Feminist, Susan McComa. And it's about money, sex, power, politics and running a restaurant. You can also join our Patreon to get ad-free episodes. And if you're passing iTunes or Spotify and you felt like leaving us a five-star review, we would love you forever. It helps other people find the podcast, as does you telling someone. And now back to that very podcast. Ooh. So what did we like about it? So we've we've really gone on about the things that we don't like. Okay, a great point of realism. Yes. Back to the Wexlers. When she's when Lisa Todd is balancing all her shit and her kids come in and she makes them breathe in her face to check their breath, that is realist. Yeah, I do that with my son every day. I'm like, let me check you because bad breath. You can't be that person and you cannot be that person when you're a kid. Oh, another zinger I enjoyed was um, Seema saying to her hairdresser, I pay you to blow me, not to not shrink me. Yeah, that was great. That's funny. Um, so the actress who plays Seema, Sarita Chowdhury, I do feel that par- she started to flex comedically a little bit in this episode because all that blowout stuff and her coming back with that mangled head of hair was was quite funny and her entering that salon and that leopard print with that belt wrapped yes. around oh that was very good as well yeah i think if they focused in on a couple of 
the new characters and we weren't having to juggle so many different plot lines. And they got some people to punch the script up so that we had more of those zingers. I really think we could get back there. I really, really do. Yes, because again, you know, I think if they introduce four new characters and two of those characters are great, that is a good hit rate to me. What did you think we, the audience, were supposed to make of Lily's song? Uh, the power of privilege. Uh, yes. I mean, I think we were meant to see, so Anthony says, who is she, Lily Eilish? I think we're meant to see her as this kid who's complaining about having a great life, complaining about privilege. Although Charlotte's face, it was a little mixed messages because they were like making fun of her. But then Charlotte's face was like, oh, no, she feels she has to be a good girl. Yes. So you're like, oh, you are carrying some of what I've had to carry. Mm. But I then I, I, I liked it because it was, it was a moment of complexity in that show, which right. we don't always get. Don't so always you're like, get. this is horrible and uncomfortable. We all want to die. But also, wait, this little girl is saying to her mom, mom, I've got this bit of baggage already mm. that you've carried your whole life. Yes. I enjoyed that moment. Yeah, I'd like to see more more of them. The Wexlers, I found I, I found that storyline very strange because it was about respectability politics and the grandmother wants the child's hair not to be natural and then the grandmother has a go at him for being angry about not being able to get a cab as a black man. And I thought that was going to be about his wife saying, look, she's a different generation, that's her respectability politics we need to show her we're a different kind of modern family and we can respect her views without she's your mother and we need to be respectful, but we need to show her we, we're not going to hide who we are before she comes. And you're allowed to be angry if a taxi driver is literally not looking you in the eye and pretending he can't see you. Obviously, they're allowed to have whatever conversation they want as a couple about that and about how she feels about his safety. That's fair enough. But she basically said, yeah, when we get angry, they win. And then I, I went online because it's not for me as a white person to say. Uh, they've got black writers in the room. But I went online. I saw a lot of black Americans saying, what is this respectability politics that she's saying don't wear a headscarf to bed because of the emancipation proclamation? Uh, as an American, what did you feel about that plotline? Well, yeah. So I, I think what I'm curious about is the audience that and just like that reaches. So I'm white and I come from a very, very white town. And I remember, so I can, I can remember getting to an age where I learned that black people in America being unable to get a taxi cab is like a thing. And I remember learning that like in the 90s, despite being a very, very sheltered white child. And so I'm wondering like if that felt like news to the audience or if the black audience for Sex in the City... I saw some of the black audience saying this is a really old school plot this line because they said you would yeah. get a, you'd get a Lyft or an Uber now, so they were like it feels like an old like an old cliche that that you know that's and- sort of what I'm trying to get at is it's like they have a platform and they clearly want to be using it correctly and is African Americans especially or maybe not especially but African Americans in New York struggle to get a taxi. Come on, guys. We can, there's still a lot to say about white privilege and what African-Americans carry, but like Mm. a a fresh I was just surprised Lisa said the mother-in-law was right about that because her mother-in-law was right about that because it just seemed like, uh, anyway, it's maybe it's not for us to deconstruct, but but I just did feel like. It's three separate topics, right? So one is the headscarf. One is. The child's hair. The child's natural hair and how it's 
styled and the third is the taxi. Mm. And I didn't, I didn't feel like I had, I truly didn't feel like even entitled to an opinion on the hair and on both sort of hair issues, but the taxi cab thing, I was really, I was like, yeah, it does to me. I don't know. I went to Twitter to see what people were saying. And I was like, they They felt it was a little too, they were saying what I expected, which is why is the message? Yes. Live up to these ideas of respectability politics. I will say, I thought another one of those great lines was when the mother-in-law comes in and they're all like, hi. And she makes the snide little comment about like, oh, and how was your performance from the Lion King? And she's she's like, it was one of my best. I was like, these fucking Wexlers are bringing it. Yeah, that was 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 funny. That was very funny. I used to love the way Sex and the City was themed. So, you know, it would be an episode where everyone would be looking at like school days from a different angle. So Carrie would be dating an old boyfriend from school. Yes. And Samantha would be talking her way into Soho House and nicking a pass and they're all getting yes. in trouble. And, and they go to like cafeteria. Exactly. <gasps> yes. That, that was one of my favorite things. Yes. Is that they were all playing with the same idea, but from different angles. Obviously that's an artifice because, it, you know, if we, you and I meet up for a coffee, we, our lives are not thematically linked. You know, it, where <laughs> one of were. us is wearing braces and the other is being picked on by mean girls at work. Like it's not yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. However, I thought that really was one of the great stylistic, yes. wonderful pieces of Sex and the City. So because what they knew is they wanted Carrie to wear her wedding dress to the Met Gala. That was that was what they started yes, with. Yes, yes. So then they start out from that. They said that's what they started with anyway. Yeah. That they wanted they wanted to do a Met Ball or a Met Gala episode, and they knew that Carrie would wear that wedding dress. So for me, that is about like turning a bad experience into a good experience. So turning you know the horror of yes. being stood up at her wedding into a fashion moment or upcycling. Yes, um, you know turning something that that we don't use, you know, there's no way I'm ever going to use that again, but I don't want to get rid of it. How do I upcycle it? Yes. And upcycling is quite a new idea that's happened since Sex and the City was taken off the air. So I feel like I would have started with upcycling and then I would have said, okay, how do you upcycle your boyfriend? So Naya, her husband is pissing her off and she's throwing out his stuff. How does she upcycle his stuff? So if she cleverly yes. uses something, yes, I'm into instead this. of just throwing everything in the bin, uh-huh. she goes, I've upcycled his uh, favorite, you know, guitar. Yeah. And I've turned it into this. And he finds out and is horrified because it's his classic piece, but she's now turned it into something. That's upcycling. So what else could you upcycle? Someone upcycles a man. Seema starts dating a guy. He's not that great, but she's like, she restyles him to take him to the Met Ball. Yeah. But with a kind of, you know, she's like acts. I'd watch this. Right. She (laughs) upcycles him. So she acts like he's maybe someone he's not, or he's massive fashionista when really he's just been at home in his sweat. So I would love to see them do this again because that's satisfying in itself then. Then mm. it doesn't really matter if it's a bit inconsequential that Seema's taken some guy. Who cares about this guy? But we've got the satisfaction of braiding those threads together and seeing those moments. For me, that would inspire the writer's room a lot more because at the moment it feels very fragmented to me. It feels like she doesn't get to go to a dinner with Tony Danza and kind of so what? But as yes. soon as it, these ideas bounce off each other and create one big statement around can you 
X, Y, and Z. That yes. old, those old questions in the middle. That's what I would like. So, Michael Patrick King, if you're listening, God, come and get her. I would like get to get in there, Deb. I would get like to bring that idea back with the real deal. It's called the real deal because Lily just clears out her closet, creates spaciousness, I would say, for her new life. She's Mm -hmm. like, I'm not that chintzy little girl that you used to dress in ridiculously Chanel couture. So I'm selling all my clothes. You told me to make it work. You told me I need to find the money myself. I found the money in my wardrobe. I've sold all these clothes to something that's meant to be a faux, the real real. What is the real real? I think the real real is these high fashion clothes. Okay by the sound of it, that you can, you know, you sell off your Chanel handbag and someone else So you else can gets then it. go there to buy a Chanel handbag, but it's not as much as it would have been, or is it more like vintage pieces? Well, sometimes it's worth more. So what she was saying is in four oh, right, years. Okay, okay. In four years, that Chanel dress will be worth a lot more than she sold it for. So I would look at that interplay between what's real about this closet full of clothes this kid doesn't fit into she says oh, Lily probably doesn't fit into that dress anymore anyway mm-hmm. so what's real what's valuable about an old dress that is not valuable to that kid anymore its value is in might be in dollars and cents but what's more valuable to her is she gets to write her own music I don't know that's the a power theme. of privilege <laughs> <laughs> um yeah what else was that episode about Carrie's podcast going bust this is sort of your point is that these different sort of storylines. So, right. So Carrie doesn't want to do her podcast thing. Charlotte's daughter wants to be a songwriter and sells off all her clothes. And Miranda Ka- is now stranded without a phone yeah, and finds out about, about an ex she didn't know about. Other, yeah. So Che goes out for dinner with Tony Dancer. <laughs> Uh, the 80s actor, and he says, I can't authentically play your father as a Mexican Mm. because I'm not Mexican, I'm Italian. So can we switch your father to be Italian and give you an abuelo? So that's about authenticity. Uh Uh-huh. And Che may well say, but I'm not authentically Italian. So that conversation around who can act as what could be interesting. That's about authenticity. That's about the real deal. Are you the real deal? So there's already we've got... Two real deal strands, I'm going to say. Okay. I'm going to say Miranda is not being real or authentic or true to herself because she's on the beach picking up seaweed. You are having a very, very hard time giving over to Miranda's new life. I can't. It's very hard for you. But but I looked it up and in California, you don't take seaweed off the beach. This is not a thing. Okay. So this is bizarro. (laughs) She's cleaning the beach up. By taking in a bucket hat that is very ugly, by taking... I hate that bucket hat. Oh, my God. P.S. At the beginning of... Sorry to just go back for a second, but in episode one where they all come out in their negligees. And, and and you know, and even um, Carrie, she wasn't in a negligee, but she was in that sexy sweatshirt. Oh, it's a New York Times sweatshirt, which apparently Ooh. they're going to become available now and we're all going to be in them. I would love to wear one with those little heels. I mean, whatever. And then she came out in like a shitty looking sundress. Remember? <laughs> what was that? I hated it. She's always had the less... Exciting no, question. but there is, but no. but she in the fucking films, she was Miranda oh, was doing film, some shit, was, yeah, hot that's true. looks, and I thought that was the direction we were going. I'm displeased, but continue. <laughs> um, yeah, it's true. She didn't get a hot negligee. Do you know what? I think she could have gone in a more mask direction actually, and been in some yes. really cute like boxes with like a little 
like vest top or something like you know like yeah, a little they singlet figured, top. They were going in the second half of the naughties. Okay. They were going in a d- great direction for Miranda. Yeah, she's always been a t-shirt girl in bed, and I think she could have had a little fitted t-shirt with a cute slogan on and like some boxes or something cute but really yeah, but like sexily hot. Done, hot. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Yeah. Anyways. I don't think she wants to necessarily be in a negligee. And so that's why I think it was, yeah, as you say, it was a sundress. So I think she could have done stuff about authenticity and, you know, hold on, what am I doing here? I don't even know my partner's phone number. And okay, we already had it because the Wexlers, we're not being true to our child. We're yes. Faking her hair. What lessons yes. is that teaching her? Yes. She needs to yes. say to her grandmother, this is how we wear our hair now and it's authentic and it's and it's me and it's my hair. And teach her kid to stand up and have the grandmother go, you're right. That's authentically you. That's the real deal. And we've been, you know, we, we, I've been taught to hide who I am to be respectable. Then we go at cooking with gas. Then we know where all of those stories should go. They should all go towards the real deal. You are a stickler for cohesion. Well, no, because this show was about that. I know. This show was about that. That's what it promised me. I know. I used to love to tune in to see how they were all had these different stories that would come to the same point where we all, you know, they, they would all learn different lessons about a particular theme or a particular way of looking at the world or a particular evocation of something. But those lessons were all in some way or another tied together. And then if we are going to end every episode with and just like that, da, 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 then then that the conclusion to that sentence has to then back reference whatever that episode was about. I truly believe if they just did that for the rest of it, if they just brought back those themes, they would feel more satisfying to us. Because at the moment I feel unsatisfied. I'm like, but why do I care? So Miranda I lost her phone. Like- That's something that could happen in real life. But it doesn't feel important. Michael Patrick King, what's going on with you? He's going on an emotional journey. You have to be in a place where you are ready to give 100%. And I think he was able to 20 some years ago. I don't think he's ready anymore. It might but be. hire Deborah and it, yeah, like us. It might be that he needs to, he needs to hire me. Um, others may not feel the same. Can we talk about the purse, the, the, the pigeon purse? Oh my God, that was incredible. I loved that. And I, I also just another positive moment before we move off the Wexlers. I did love that the mother-in-law's burn was like, maybe you need the tea. Chamomile. (laughs) (laughs) That other, I could watch that mother-in-law, like when she arrives to that apartment and that necklace that's taken off, like her entire strip. I could watch that lady all day. I mean. God, spin off me. Spin off me, Michael. Get it together and spin me off with the Wexlers. Um, can we just? And I, I know that yes. you want more Wexler content. Okay, I'm, I'm done now. I have. I said know, my no, piece. no. I want, I want you to have all the Wexler content you want. You deserve oh, it. You've, succession's been ruthlessly ripped from your hands. Oh, give me and something to think some, about. You need some oh. Wexler, some Wexler love. Um, that pigeon clutch was J.W. Anderson. Okay, so I have a little. Listeners have told me they like it when I find those Easter eggs. Yes. This is an Easter egg. Now, Judith Lieber makes purses, right? Do you remember Big? Yes. She says to Big, I love you. He can't say it back. Yes. And she's got that purse. And he gives her. Yes. It's a a clutch. It's like a clutch with bejeweled swan clutch. It's very unlike her. Then he takes her to an uptown party. All the women are carrying them. And it's like he's trying to make her into something she's not. It's giving her an ugly purse instead of saying I love you. It signifies he doesn't truly know her. Right. Here now she carries a J.W. Anderson pigeon purse, but it's very, very similar, except a pigeon and a swan are very different. A swan is very fancy. It's also bejeweled. 
this is a pigeon purse that just looks like an actual pigeon. It's like, no, I'm not that. I was never that. And now I can say I love you to myself. I don't need this man to be in my bed any more than Thursdays. I'm Oh my God, I'm so down for this. He's fired. And I've got this pigeon clutch that's not bejeweled and I got it for myself. Now, I have a third spoke to this, this wheel, this wheel of truth. This is the wheel of ultimate truth. Yeah. Even though they couldn't remember how long Harry's mother has been dead for. So it seems very crazy to me that they're capable of this, but I fucking love it. And I'm, I'm dazzled. Keep going. Okay. So, I mean, I, I'm not someone who thinks authorial intent is that important. If it's there, what we see in it is as important as what they intended us to see. In yes, it. yes, yes. I, I okay. Too. So I've got a third spoke and it's going to blow your mind. Do you remember the cupcake bag of betrayal from the movie? So the fo- movie yes. number one. Yes, oh, Lily's little phone when she was a little girl and right. she goes, hello. So she steals Carrie's phone, puts it in her cupcake handbag when she's a flower girl. So he can't get in touch with her and he just feels he needs to hear her voice and that's where the whole wedding gets called off. That cupcake handbag is Judith Lieber, the same as this one one, and we see it. We see it in this episode. The cupcake bag? And the real deal. So she goes and looks in Lily's wardrobe to see, oh, my God, she sold her clothes. Do you know what she hasn't sold? The Judith Lieber cupcake bag. What? Shut your face. That's right. And that, that, that again, is a link back to big, like this bag, but it's a link back to the wedding, which is also with the wedding dress of betrayal. It's the cupcake bag of betrayal. It's we're now leaving big behind, but he's still present because otherwise – that cupcake bag would have been one of the things we saw sold and it wasn't sold and it's Judith Lieber, so it's expensive. So she could have sold that. She decided to hold on to it because it's a sort of, it's we're tent polling now. These are the significant things that have happened to Carrie. She will never forget the way that Big betrayed her and that she now needs, he, he's died, she's grieved, and now she needs to find her independence. So I think this is a growth story and it's being done through, correctly through the medium of handbags. I feel like... You're a great sleuth. And at least in this moment, I'm the only person who's heard you talking other than potentially your husband. And I feel privileged. It's the power of privilege. The power of the power of privilege. Yeah. I don't know. Is Lily going to become a singer-songwriter and leave her classical roots behind? I suspect This is what's interesting is that in season one, we see her playing, which is, of course, when Big is dying. Yeah, that's another link that starts mm -hmm, out. mm -hmm. Two links, two links. Okay. What is the opening song of season two, episode one? What's the opening song? When they're all having sex. It's... Hold me closer. Tiny dancer. And what does Phoebe from Friends famously? I've never watched Friends. Now oh is my when God. It's it was never big with people like me in the US, but okay. anyway. All right. Cool. Phoebe cool mishears that. that, and therefore many people sing it as Hold me closer, Tony Danza. They must know that's a joke. Surely they know. It. Surely Shut they're up. in on that gag, and Tony Shut Danza is in this. Fucking face up. Google, hold me close to Tony Danza. Elton John recently sang it when he was hanging out with Courtney Cox and a bunch of other cool people like Ed Sheeran. And they put it on Instagram for for Lisa Kudrow. They were like, Lisa, we're singing this with Elton. And Elton was like, hold me closer, Tony Danza. Oh, my God. And Lisa Kudrow made a video back going, it's not that. It's hold me close, young Tony Danza, which is true. They got a little wrong. But it's funny, hold me closer, Tony Danza, honestly. She is the coolest of all time, Lisa Kudrow. Lisa Kudrow is the coolest of all time. 
What are you hoping will happen in the next episode of And Just Like That? Oh, okay. Are we talking like plot wise or like just generally? I'm looking for anything that you're hoping for. Okay. So very, very generally, I hope that they are on a journey of learning and discovery. And I hope that as they start to, that they are feeling what I am feeling in terms of what's clicking and what's working. And the Miranda Chase stuff fades a little. Like, so Che and Professor Nia Wallace are Miranda connections. I hope that takes a back seat. I hope our California and Naya situation takes a back seat and the Wexlers and the York Goldenblatts and Carrie and Aiden are front seat. Great. Broadly speaking, this is what I'm hoping for. And don't keep us waiting too long. I want Aiden to appear in the next episode and I want there to be a genuinely complex and uh, I want to see Carrie torn a again. A real journey you're a asking real journey. for. I want a real journey. I want one of an old school real Carrie journey. Also, I'm going to give you a challenge. Ooh. We're both stand-up comics. We both have to live on stage sometime before we see each other again. Okay. At some point, we have to try the line, LA's making me lazy, or fill in your thing here. Okay. I got an Uber from the bathroom to the kitchen. It was so expensive. Thank you and good night. We have to end our set on no. that joke. No, I'm not doing and that. And we need to see how it manages to get that. <laughs> oh my God, I'm not fucking thing. doing that. Now, number one, in fairness to Che, American audiences are much better. <laughs> but, but, but I think that makes us, that is good. That's what you want. I feel sometimes like for a comedian living in the UK, which I do and you do, it's like you're training in a marathon and you're running on the beach. So when you fucking hit that pavement, look out. And I can feel like once you like have your little moment of adjustment, if you get to go play to a U.S. crowd, it's like you're on pavement all of a sudden, motherfucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I you just, can afford to do that because you're I'm just spade a spade here. Your career has taken you out of some of the fucking hell holes that I am still doing stand up in. So you try it in those rooms. I'm going with my tourists in Leicester Square. I'm not fucking trying that. Can you not then acknowledge? Can you not say? Now I've tried that joke because I saw it on and just like that, and it was really funny on on that. And I just wanted to see if it would work in a real room. Can I tell you something though? And I think of you as being more generous of spirit than I am generally as a person. But I'm more generous of spirit with that joke than you are because. I was a little bit happy with it when Che did it because at least it was a joke. When we saw them doing their Netflix special, they weren't even doing jokes. They were just like... Observing. We've only ever seen them be like um, clapdery, rabble-rousy. Right. It wasn't even a piece of writing. Hey, Whereas, guys. Yeah, don't we? Don't we? Hate who in this room haven't I fucked? At least they did a joke. And I reward baby steps for them. Okay. All right. Well, listen, I'm going to see if I can try it out at the Guilty Feminist. And then the twist is going to be, okay, I just wanted to try Shay's material to see if it got any laugh at all. (laughs) Right. And you wouldn't that close audience on it though. Is, it's a hack joke that's linking one idea to another. It's like a little segue. Maybe a, they're like, look, segue. in their defense, maybe they're doing like little bits that they're trying. You know, sometimes, I mean, Mock the Week is over now, but comedians who are going on Mock the Week, they will show up at a club and be like, and they'll just like rifle through this stuff that they've written. They did say they were doing a new material. They said, I'm working my material out. Well, Sarah Barron, this has been an unqualified delight as always. Always. Please come and talk to us again. Uh, and uh, do you have anything to plug? Yes, I do. Um, my partner and I are doing a a television podcast. We did one about Succession. We are now branching that Phenomenal into- Phenomenal show. I went to see it live. Sweet of you to say. Sweet of you to say. 
what we are doing is if you're a kind of person, you love your television and you're like, but what's, what's my good shit? Where is the good shit? We are here to comb through it and be like, this is what you're watching and now. It's gonna and it's going to be called? Gonna like it. It's going to be called They Like to Watch. Are you still Firecrotch and Normcore? Yeah. So I would say Google Firecrotch and Normcore and you will find me. So it's Firecrotch and Normcore, They Like to Watch. And I am very excited about the podcast because I've really missed the Succession podcast almost more than I've missed Succession. She's a good friend. No, it's true. Uh, and now it just remains for me to say you have been listening to the Guilty Feminist Watchers and Just Like That with me, Deborah Francis White, and my very special guest, Sarah Barron. The producer for the Spontaneity Shop was Tom Selinski. The Guilty Feminist is part of the ACAST Creator Network. And Just Like That is on Max in the United States and Sky Comedy and now in the UK. See you next time. Episode 3.